Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. This segment is titled, Esteemable Acts. It emerged from a conversation with my friend, Corey. We're going to explore the actions that peace-loving people committed to justice and equality can take to build bridges in our society. I've struggled with what I want to say about our divided nation. I'm compelled to use my voice for the pursuit of justice and peace in that order, justice and peace. As I've struggled with what to say, I decided that I want to begin with a conversation that I had with Corey McCarthy, a young man that I dearly love and respect. He's been through addiction, incarceration, and a number of other stumbles and tumbles. Corey and I were talking about the growing racial chasm in our country. We were trying to figure out what one individual can do. Specifically, what can he and I do? Corey told me about a conversation that he had with a nun after his incarceration. He was grappling with how to create a new life that he was proud of. He and the nun discussed self-esteem. She told him, Corey, if you want to build your self-esteem, you need to do esteemable acts. Corey has stayed on the path of esteemable acts, volunteering in his community, becoming an awesome dad, and doing outreach to inmates. As we kept talking, I started thinking about esteemable acts for justice and peace. I started thinking about how everyday folk can simply do esteemable acts. As I kept thinking about it, I realized that esteemable acts don't begin with action or even with language. They begin with esteemable thoughts. Examining our thoughts requires us to be self-aware, to stop denying the existence of our biases. Many of us live in denial about our biases. We claim that we're colorblind. We claim that we make decisions from complete objectivity. We claim that when we're at work, we've left everything else at the door. Those are delusions that keep us from dealing directly with our biases, no matter what they are. Some biases are seemingly positive, though they're not harmless. We may unconsciously attribute positive characteristics to some people, typically the people we easily relate to. We may unconsciously see people, especially people like ourselves, with halos, 
you can spot that tendency when you extol others who you say have a work ethic that's just like yours. That's a positive bias towards people who have what we deem to be an honorable work ethic. It's also very self-centered and very self-serving. It unconsciously assumes that we're the standard to which all others should be held. We see more pervasive biases when people hire in their own images. While this may or may not be conscious, it surely happens. It's painfully obvious when we see homogeneity throughout senior levels of organizations. It's painfully obvious when we tout diversity and inclusion but create occupational ghettos by primarily hiring people of color for low-wage, low-status positions. We all know a litany of biases about any and every group. The trick in preparing for esteemable acts is to confront the biases that we hold, especially the ones that we deny. We know we're in complete denial about our biases when we say, I don't see color. Of course you see color, unless you're blind. The question is, what do you do when you see color? What's your comfort level with difference? Denial and comfort cannot coexist. Another clear sign of denial is when we say, I don't have any prejudices. Come on. We have all sorts of biases and prejudices. The real struggle is building awareness to the unconscious and the subconscious when it comes to our beliefs, both positive and negative. The beliefs we hold about ourselves and others. Once we can surface those things, we can begin to figure out where and how they're showing up in our actions. Whatever we deny about our biases is telling. So we have to come to terms with our delusions and our denials. That is such an important first step. Another step in moving to esteemable thoughts is to delve into our early, early messages about people who are different from us. What were we taught? What were we told? What were the beliefs that we have accepted without question? Coming to grips with what we deny and what we were taught enables us to become open to esteemable thoughts. We use our raised awareness to come to terms with our unconscious biases. In my conversation with Corey, he raised that issue. He said there are so many negative assumptions and assertions about a man who's been on drugs and in jail. He said that there are assumptions about his tattoos, which include a trail of bullets up his arm. I'm sure there are even assumptions about the large scar on his bald head. That's the result of a bar fight that nearly killed him. Corey says that the expectation is that he is not well-educated. The expectation is that he does not come from a two-parent home. 
the assumption is that he does not come from an upper-middle-class Irish Catholic family with two attorney parents who provided a stable and loving home. Yet he does. He now owns a contracting business. Clients are often surprised that he's well-versed on many subjects and that he's well-spoken. The challenge for each of us is to pay attention to our gut reactions to others, to pay attention to the immediate thoughts that we have. For example, if you saw Corey, you might tighten your grip on your purse until you got to know him. So the question is, who makes you tighten your grip on your purse? Once we've started dealing with creating esteemable thoughts, we can move into the realm of esteemable acts focused on justice, equity, inclusion, and peace. My question for myself and for you is this. What are the esteemable acts that I'm doing to heal my heart, to heal our country, and to heal our world. I'd like to propose questions that we can each ask ourselves and those in our circles to focus on the esteemable acts that build bridges between and among people. So let's really think about committing to esteemable acts. The first question is, am I willing to address inequity when I see it? One voice united with other single voices can create a chorus for justice. If we ignore inequity, we're condoning it. We're tacit supporters. The next question for us to consider is, do I even recognize inequity? Waking up and accepting the experiences faced by others enables us to become aware that inequity and injustice are real for many people in many places and they are pervasive. Pretending that we live in an equitable world where everyone is treated fairly doesn't change the fact that oppression is real. Build your ability to recognize inequity by asking people who are different from you, different by way of race, age, gender, nationality, sexual orientation, begin asking them about their experiences. Now, I'm not saying that groups are monolithic. What I am saying is that building dialogue is critical. That's how you can develop an antenna to detect inequity. I'd like for you to consider whether you're actually willing to confront your biases. That's the next question. Am I willing to surface and confront my biases? You know, with the exception of the angels in heaven, 
we've all got preconceived notions that consciously or unconsciously drive our actions. We've already discussed unconscious biases. Make sure that you're doing the internal self-examination to become aware of all of the subterranean stuff that each of us has to deal with. The next question is about your workplace. Is my workplace one that supports diversity, equity, and inclusion? Lip service is easy. Real action towards a welcome workplace takes Herculean effort at the systemic level. Look around. Are there patterns in the dismissals, in the promotions, or in disciplinary actions? Do you see diversity in leadership? Do you see diversity on your board of directors? Are diverse populations clustered in low-wage, low-status positions? Who's on the developmental track to higher positions? These questions move you beyond organizational propaganda to the reality of life in the organization. The next question is all about justice. Will I take a stand for justice? A critical mass of drum majors for justice can create a positive sea change. Taking a stand does not necessarily mean marching in every protest, though that's certainly one way to take a stand. Other ways to take a stand include raising concerns with decision makers in your organization, writing op-ed pieces for local publications, volunteering to help advocacy groups that foster the aims of justice. Another way to take a stand is with your ballot. Vote. Remember that people died so that you would have the right to vote. This is something that I take very, very seriously. I encourage people to put aside party affiliations and vote for the person who reflects your core values. Women and people of color are especially duty-bound to vote. I remind you again, people died, were beaten, and brutalized so that you could exercise the right to vote. So let's think about how we use our voice. Will I use my voice for good? Words have the power to create wonder, beauty, joy, peace, healing, and hope. Are you willing to have the difficult conversations with your family, with your friends? What are you willing to say? Silence is complicity. The last question that I'd like for you to consider is this. Will I commit to visible, consistent, esteemable acts? That's the bottom line. What are you and I 
willing to do. We who are people of compassion and conscience have a responsibility to heal hearts and build bridges. What will your esteemable acts be? When are you going to start? What are you going to do when you get weary and you feel like you're swimming upstream against the current? Challenging systemic injustice and inequity is hard, hard work. Being a champion for real equality takes enormous courage and it takes consistent work. Your esteemable acts cannot be for a moment. They have to be consistent. Your esteemable acts have to be sustainable. If you commit to the long haul, your esteemable acts will not be a short moment in time to soothe you. They'll be a powerful movement. I ask that we all join together to create justice, equity, and peace. As we wrap up, I want to remind you that blame and belief cannot coexist. We cannot afford to constantly look back. History, with all of its pain, is informative. Yes, we want to acknowledge and take responsibility for the ongoing harms of racism, of sexism, of ageism, of homophobia, and the many, many, many other inequities and injustices that plague us. However, we can't make progress if we use all of our energy for blame. We have to believe in the possibility, in the probability of a just nation, a just world, a peaceful nation, and a peaceful world. Blame and belief cannot coexist. Join me in beginning with esteemable thoughts and then moving to esteemable acts. Join me in believing in the limitless, powerful possibilities of uniting to create justice, to foster equity, and to build peace. Blame and belief cannot coexist. I'd like to close with an excerpt from The Language of Action by William M. Chase. He says, diversity, inclusion, generally understood and embraced is really not about casual, liberal tolerance. It's not about polite accommodation. Inclusion is in action. The sometimes very painful awareness that other people, other races, other voices, 
other habits of mind have as much integrity of being, as much claim on the work and on the world as I do. I urge you, amid all of the strife, all of the division, all of the differences that we face, I urge you to reach out and create the bond that will protect us all. For surely, 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 we are all meant to be here together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe to get more relevant leadership learning. Check out my YouTube channel to stay prepared for leading in an ever-evolving world.